first of all, I have to admit that I'm not terribly excited to be embarking on the season of Lent just now. I'm feeling a lot of heaviness already, and maybe you are as well. The continuation of COVID restrictions, the cold weather, the ongoing separation from you, my church family, all these things layer upon each other in a way that makes me feel less than enthusiastic about entering into a season of seriousness, of contemplation, of deep and careful self-reflection, even of willingness to sacrifice. And on top of that, the scriptures I have selected from the lectionary to guide us through this season, verses from the Psalms, have their own heartfelt heaviness. And the particular words that rose out of those texts as our theme words for the season have their own intensity and heaviness. The first four weeks prove that out with the words shame, suffering, warned, distress. Do we really need more intensity in a time that already feels intense? Do we need more heaviness in a time that already feels heavy? I suppose you could say that no, we don't need more intensity, more heaviness. But at the same time, we might do well to recognize that there is no spiritual gain for us in trying to avoid, to skate past the times in which we find ourselves. So instead of seeking an easy out, as if there even exists such a thing anyway, why not dig deeper into the heaviness, the hardness, the dry and difficult places in our spirits, so that as we journey toward Easter, As we move toward spring, the hope that begins to come into view is not just the thin hope of better times, a wish that maybe things will change, but rather that the kind of hope that begins to come into view might be instead the hardy kind of hope that springs from seeds that have been planted in the midst of difficulty, seeds that have been planted in what has felt like a time of hopelessness, seeds that have been planted not just in free-floating optimism, but in the dark and rich soil of waiting, of trusting, of being honest about how hard things have been. So if we will allow ourselves to do this deep and difficult work of Lent, this could be a time when we perhaps reluctantly, but intentionally and even courageously dig into some hard things and prepare the ground for some better things. As we step into the challenging places of self-understanding, of spiritual seeking, of honesty, we need to do one more thing as well, I think. We need to also make an intentional commitment that we will not stay stuck in the difficult places. We will not give in to the paralysis of spirit. Instead, we commit to a journey of awareness that we trust will lead to new growth, just as eventually winter will give way to spring.
and death will give way to resurrection. So even if we don't feel like it, don't feel like doing Lent, we can do this, right? We can take on the hard themes and thoughts of Lent. We can imagine ourselves to be like the bulbs that are going to be given to the congregation today in drive-through fashion and in the days ahead following through with delivery. We can claim our potential as vessels of life and growth, hard and dry now, perhaps, but soon showing forth green growth. We can start with difficult things, difficult themes, and then find our way along a path of possibility and hope. And we can do this. We will do this through this season. The first word of our scriptural theme words for Lent then is shame from these verses in Psalm 25. I offer my life to you, Lord. My God, I trust you. Please don't let me be put to shame. Don't let my enemies rejoice over me. For that matter, don't let anyone who hopes in you be put to shame. Instead, let those who are treacherous without excuse be put to shame. The word focus is on the word shame, but the phrase that shows up several times in those verses is actually to put to shame. Please don't let me be put to shame. Don't let anyone who hopes in you be put to shame. Instead, let those who are treacherous without excuse be put to shame. In our regular understanding, to be ashamed is to be embarrassed or guilty because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. To be put to shame, it seems then, would involve being made to feel that way, to feel ashamed, to be identified that way, to receive that label, to wear it, the label of unworthiness, of less than, of embarrassment. In our common language, we more often use the word ashamed than the root word shame because we speak of being ashamed more often than of shaming someone because we expect people themselves to feel embarrassed or guilty when they do or say something that is inconsistent with good manners or good intentions. Someone says something wildly inappropriate or does something that reflects badly on the family or the community. And we might say, you should be ashamed of yourself or have you no shame with a kind of self-regulating expectation. That's a very individualistic understanding of the word shame. And I suppose that fits with our very individualistic culture. But the power of shame, of being ashamed really only works if the person has a conscience for the community or a desire to be well thought of. If the person who should be ashamed cares little for community standards or little for the damage done to relationships by bad behavior, then shame has no hold over them. Such people cannot self-regulate, won't. But if a person has a conscience, 
that connects them to the community and they value the way they are seen and they want to have the approval of the community or the approval of someone whose opinion they value or whose emotional connection they need, then shame can be a powerful force. The words, you should be ashamed of yourself or have you no shame can become, at the very least, a stinging slap something that awakens a strong feeling of remorse. Shame in that context where failure to be who you said you were or to hold up the expectations of your circle of relationship as it is named as well as felt in an internalized, character-questioning kind of way can call us to awareness, maybe even remorse. Now, if such a moment of being called out turns out to be a learning moment, a moment of fresh awareness of confession and ultimately repentance, then shame has done its good work. But if that shame message, that sharp message of failure and disappointment and embarrassment is not worked through and instead solidifies into an internalized part of one's own permanent self-understanding, then shame is damaging. Or let me put it this way. Our conscience is meant to guide us away from wrong behavior in relationship to those around us and in relation to our own held values, to guide us away from those negative things and to turn us back toward right behavior. Shame at its best can trigger can serve as a trigger that alerts our conscience. But shame can also be solidified into something that bangs around inside us, causing internal injury rather than reforming us. If shame is taken in without sparking some kind of redemptive change, then it becomes a permanent part of one's self-understanding. And when that happens, the potentially corrective energy of embarrassment or failure can instead become a permanent wound, a wound on one's character and self-understanding. Shame is a little like an abrasive cleanser. Sometimes you need something strong to loosen, loosen the grit and grime But if you leave a harsh abrasive sitting on the porcelain surface too long or you fail to rinse it off afterwards, it can damage the surface, sometimes forever. And then shame can become toxic. This past week, one morning, in the wee hours of the morning, what I consider nighttime, I got a call from my son at college. When the phone rings at 1.30 in the morning, you usually assume it's not good news. And when it is your child, your heart clenches. It wasn't good news. He had hurt himself when he was out sliding down a long sledding hill. He needed to go to the hospital. He wanted to talk through what to do. 
Now, there was a time when I would have given him not only the advice he was seeking, but I would have given him a shame talk. What foolishness were you up to? What were you thinking? Don't you have any good sense? But I didn't do that. I've learned to be more cautious with disapproval, with talking down to someone, with loading on to something that is already embarrassing. And I confess that it's not that I learned that by my virtuous nature. I learned that the hard way. Shame spread onto others will spill back on you at some point. Be careful about piling on. That lesson was clearly illustrated to me a couple of years ago when one evening my wife backed out of the garage with the minivan and smashed into my older son's car. She backed right into the driver's side back passenger door and completely crushed it in. I responded like this. How on earth did you manage to do that? Weren't you watching where you were going? I didn't harp on it. I didn't raise my voice, but I wasn't gracious. Perhaps she was embarrassed, and surely what I said didn't help. I was not understanding or gentle. She felt bad, and I probably made her feel worse. Shame. The van was already banged up, so I wasn't going to do anything about that. The car got the worst of it. The $500 deductible dissuaded me from making an insurance claim. I had just collected $1,100 selling a boat trailer that had taken me forever to sell. The cost of repairing the door was exactly the same amount. Money in, money out. I wasn't happy. It took a while, but finally the car was repaired and things moved on. And then, maybe a month or so later, my older son was home for the weekend again. His car was parked in the driveway again, exactly where it had been when my wife had run into it. One of my other children called and asked to be picked up from an event at school. It was a rainy evening. I hurried out to get in the car to go and get them. I backed out of the garage, not especially fast, but fast enough, and I hit my son's car just as my wife had done in exactly the same place, smashing in the same door. I was so completely dismayed, ashamed of not only my mistake, but even more so remembering the way I had treated my wife when she had done the same thing. I suddenly understood the answer to my questions. How on earth did you manage to do that? Weren't you watching where you were going? The answers were, I don't know. I thought I was watching where I was going, but I was in a hurry and the car is lower than my SUV and I forgot it was there and I just didn't see it. Now the grace in the story is that my wife didn't say, I told you so. She smiled and said, I know how you feel. And my son didn't say, you did what? I have to get the car fixed again? 
He said, it's okay, I'll look for a door at the junkyard this time. I think I can fix it myself. And by their grace, I learned something that most of us don't need someone else to shame us. We are hard enough on ourselves. What we need is someone to accept us, to forgive us, to tenderly help us to overcome our mistakes. And then the shame we feel teaches us rather than traumatizing us. Back to this past week, I did not sleep well after that 1.30 a.m. call from my son. I was worried about him. I tossed and turned the rest of the night when he finally texted me again at 5 a.m. as he was leaving the hospital with his separated shoulder. He apologized for waking me up. Super ridiculous was his assessment of what he had done. I said, it's okay. Love you, he texted to me. Love you too, I replied. Some people may need their mistakes pointed out to them, but more of us already know how we have failed. Shame sits heavily upon us. When something disappointing or damaging happens, more important than naming the failure, perhaps, is asking ourselves these questions. How will we turn back toward each other? How will we forgive and heal? How will we gently hold each other's embarrassment? How will we touch shame just enough to be sure that we are being sensitive to each other, but not so much that we harm each other. Will you pray with me? We are, most of us, dear God, already struggling with thinking we are less than or unworthy, or failures in terms of could and should. We don't need more criticism or more reminders of how we've come up short. Even those who bluster about their success or importance are struggling with their inadequacy. But if a little shame would make us more sensitive to the ways we have breezed past the need for accountability or compassionate action, then give us a small dose of embarrassment for having missed the boat. On the other hand, if we are already mired in shame from childhood, from failure after failure, from impossibly high standards we have set for ourselves or that we think others have set for us, then release us, dear God. Release us and heal us. Do not let us swallow whole the message that we are not worthy of love. Show us instead that grace is all around us. Bring us back into the community of accountability, but also the community of acceptance. We trust in your healing love through Jesus Christ.
Amen. Please join me in some continued moments of silent prayer and reflection. <laughs> 